everyone, and welcome to the TPM podcast. TPM, of course, stands for Theology of Plain Men. My name is Zach Doman. I am joined here by a man who I uh, shared a bed with for almost as long as I've shared a bed with my own wife. Um, <laughs> Matt Alquist, ladies and gentlemen, back in our good old bunkin' days. Uh, oh, please don't give any more context to it. We'll just oh. uh, we'll just let it stay there. <laughs> yeah, we'll just let it live in mystery that Matt and I shared a bed for a really, really long time. Uh, anyways, like I said, uh, we are Theology of Plain Men. Um, we believe that ordinary people like Matt and myself um, have a right to, you know, um, think theologically and think about higher concepts of God. And not only have a right to, but as the Christian, you ought to pursue higher concepts about God. So, like I said, welcome to the TPM podcast. Um, Matt, what's going on with you lately? Oh, you know, just uh, just like the rest of us, making it through... Oh boy, I hope what are the final stages of quarantine and lockdown and uh, the COVID <laughs> mess that the world's in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. But big news on my side, I get to go into work for the first time, not only in months, but ever for this new job. So You're going to have to put pants on. <laughs> that's going to be the worst part of it, guaranteed. No, I started a new job a couple months ago, um, and I actually haven't been into the office since getting hired. And I've met only a couple of my coworkers, and that was from the interview pre-lockdown. So this will be a fun transition for me. Uh, I get a commute again, so I get to get to join you in that, Zach. Um, bummer there. But <laughs> How long of a commute are you going to have? Oh, Not it's very only, long. Well, it's like 15 minutes without traffic. Oh, which yeah. I'm well, and there on, is so. no traffic. Thank you, COVID. Right, so, yeah. No, yeah. just making it making it through uh, <laughs> the life right now, though. It's it's strange. And honestly, I'm getting really, really tired of this. Um, and I say that still completely cognizant of there are people hurting and that have it much worse than I do and are, of course, actually sick or know people who are sick. So I say it's sympathetic of that. But boy, am I looking forward to the days when this is all over behind us. Yeah, you and, you and everybody else. Uh, you did say something in there that I, I'm curious if it's going to be a thing. Uh, a, a while back, there was the hashtag, uh, thanks, Obama. Um, whenever anything <laughs> random would happen, right, unrelated, I to, about that. unrelated to politics or whatever, just, uh, you know, my, my garden hose sprung a leak. Thanks, hashtag, thanks, Obama. Um, I'm wondering if we could slide that in there of anything anything can happen and it could even be a good thing like uh no traffic today hashtag thanks covid um so i think we just came up with the next hashtag um, there we go social Trending. media extraordinaire matt on hashtag tpm that's right at the okay. real matt Alquist. follow me on instagram anyway <laughs> please move on. all right we're gonna just get right into it here so uh we have a uh book club of sorts today that we're gonna go through with the listeners um we we believe that there is um, certainly the most important book, um, we believe, of course, is the Bible. Um, it's authoritative. It's the word of God. Um, but in the history of the church, God has empowered his people to um, and empowered humanity to write things that are, are useful for our teaching, um, uh, useful for art. Um, useful to make his name known to, to show something right to provide some value to humanity and those are books that live outside of scripture so we at tpm believe there is a ton of value in reading other books um, i myself have a hard time reading i'm not a good reader i'm not a fast reader um 
and honestly i find it hard to, to like reading so so maybe you're like me out there uh, matt i know you are certainly more of a reader than i am i don't um, know if that's true <laughs> oh, i think everyone you're listening to two people talk about books who suck at reading and, oh. and do it infrequently so well, then, <laughs> this is going to be gold i promise to, you to the listener out there uh if you're already uh like reading then this is going to be right up your alley and to the listener who does not like reading we are with you we know what you feel and we are That's here right. for you anyways right. we're going to get into it both matt and i have a few books that have been impactful to our lives in some way we're just going to kind of go through them tell you a little bit about it kind of a brief overview of it uh and then a little bit of of why we care about that particular book so matt why don't you kick us off yeah definitely um I, so that when i was thinking about this um I, it's it's kind of hard to narrow it down even though like i said i'm not really a, an avid reader by any means I do have a lot of books that I've I've consumed through the years that have been super impactful to me. Um, I think just the process of reading a book tends to make me absorb it more than watching or listening to something. But uh, the first one I thought of, and this certainly has had maybe the most impact on my theology outside of the Bible, uh, is a book called The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler, and it's uh, with Jared Wilson as a, a co-author. But it... Uh, it was a book written, boy, I bet sometime in the early 2010s, and it uh, it just goes over how do you understand the gospel in terms of the view of whether it's you're viewing the gospel in terms of God or in terms of man. So I'll just read the back of the book here to kind of give a, a better synopsis than I can. It says, uh, maybe you know it, but then again, maybe you don't. Even if you go to church, it doesn't mean that you are being exposed to the gospel explicitly. Sure, most people talk about Jesus and about being good and avoiding bad, but the gospel message simply isn't there. At least it's not in its specificity and fullness. Inspired by the needs of both the overchurched and the unchurched, bolstered by the common neglect of the explicit gospel within Christianity, Matt Chandler writes to remind us what is the first and utmost important, the gospel. So this changed my mind because it's so easy to view so many things that are I guess we talk about a lot in, in this podcast is like heretical or, or wrong or going off to different tracks than we would agree with. So many of them I can view with the lens of their gospels that start with the view of man. And what I mean by that is that uh, it's, it's I'm the center of the universe. How does the gospel relate to me? And Matt Chandler flips it on his head and says, no, the gospel, it has something to do with you, but not because of you, but because of God. And he chose to involve you in it. And if you get God in the center of the gospel, it changes everything about how you speak about it, about how you think about it, and about how you apply it to your life. So, um, number one for me. Yeah, Matt Chandler, one of our, um, I'm going to say one of our great modern theologians that we have. Uh, one of the guys out there um, who's kind of in that reformed school of thought, both Matt and I, cards on the table, are, are probably, I would call us reformed thinkers. Um, and yeah, Matt Chandler is one of the guys at the forefront of reformed theology doing a lot of really great stuff. Yeah. Would uh, recommend. What about absolutely. you, Zach? What's first on your list? Also first for me is another, um, I'm going to call him a workhorse of modern reformed theologians. Uh, my boy, J pipes, John J. Piper pipes. with his, I'm going to say it's his staple book. Really? Most people put this at the top of when you think of John Piper, his sermons, his messages, and, and really what's been at the top of his list. Um, I believe what is typically regarded as number one is his book called don't waste your life. 
Um, the premise of this book, it, it lines up with um, a very famous sermon he gave uh, years ago now called the, the, the Seashells Sermon is sometimes what it's referred to. And he tells a story of an old couple who they lived a, a good life and um, you know, as they got old, they retired and they kind of just settled into this neutral retirement life where they lived on the beach down south, somewhere tropical, where they spent their days gathering seashells next to the ocean. And then their lives ended. And, and again, these, uh, these people are Christians, right? They're Christian people. He's writing this to Christians. And at the end of their life, they, um, they go and they see God. And what do they have to say for all those years where they were walking along the, sh the shore, they go to God and they say, look, God, look at all of my seashells, right? And the idea is that's a wasted life. That if, if that is what you have to show God for what he gave to you, he gave you this life, um, right? He bought you. We, we ought not waste it. And I'm going to read a little bit from the, just the last paragraph from the preface here. Uh, last couple paragraphs um, after he's he's writing to the reader um, John Piper is um, and he says please know I am praying for you whether you are a student dreaming something radical for your life or whether you are retired and hoping not to waste the final years if you wonder what I am praying read chapter 10 that is my prayer for now I thank God for you my joy grows with every soul that seeks the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ remember you have one life that's all you are made for God don't waste it and that's dated as March 31st, 2003. Um, and I read this book in probably 2016. So that right there, 13 years, and this book was still ripping off of the shelves. So really, really good book. Highly recommend it. Um, just that idea and kind of why that mattered to me is I very much was in a stage of life. Um, and shout out to my discipler, Adam Wolf, who put this book in front of me. Um, and I was very much in a stage of life where, nope, I'm rolling through engineering school. Um, I'm going to graduate, get a good job, get married, have 2.5 kids, and live in a house with a white picket fence. And that was, that was what I saw as my path, and I was just going to do the neutral life. And, and um, praise be to God for Adam who, who saw that idol in my life and called it out and said, we need to go through this, like, let's go through this together. Um, and it really framed how I saw what it meant to be a Christian and live the Christian life. I, I couldn't recommend this book high enough. Um, Zach, you, you nailed it on the head with this one. I, I think that this is probably in the top list for mine too, except you already had it. Um, honestly, John Piper does an incredible job of reading the culture and understanding what, what could cause us to stumble and not make good use of our time. And I've been incredibly impacted by this one as well. And anyone, I'd say that especially lives in the West and experiences Western Christianity, which I've got to imagine is the majority of the people listening. <laughs> um, seriously, re read the book because it's easy to fall into the temptation of just getting by and, and living well. And, and that's all that matters. Uh, so, what you got next, one. Matt? Yeah, uh, next on the list, I've got Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, for those of you who've heard it, um, heard of it you you probably know that it's uh, a significantly large in in the the world of christian literature uh in english literature in general and if you don't um no worries i didn't more <clears throat> than a few years ago and it was only until after i heard of its scale that it's been 
populated through the world that I got interested in it. And it was at first it was like, this is a book that I should read just to know about. Uh, and it actually became extremely impactful for me. So uh, again, I'll read the back to kind of give some context to it. But, but first, I just want to note, uh, the author here is John Bunyan, who again is a, a reformer, but a reformer in the sense of actually during the Reformation period. This book was written in 1678. Um, and it was during the, you know, again, the, the Christian Re Reformation period, but a time of like immense, immense uh, persecution from different churches, from all sides, uh, Protestants and Catholics alike. Um, and he wrote this as an allegory of the Christian life. Um, John Bunyan, he was just a, a laborer. He, he mended pots professionally. That's, that's what he did. He, he was the OG plain man. Uh, well, I shouldn't say OG. Uh, <laughs> what, let's say from that period of time, he was, he was the plain man of his day. He was just a guy who, who did simple labor, um, but took great interest in Christianity and in the things above and uh, became one of the most influential English writers of all time because of it. Um, so we'll get, I'll go ahead and read this. It says, often rated second in importance to the Bible as a Christian document. This famous story of a man's progress through life in search of salvation remains one of the most entertaining allegories of faith ever written. Set in realistic backdrops of town and country, the powerful drama of the pilgrim's trial and temptation follows him in his harrowing journey to the celestial city. Along a road embarked, or sorry, along a road filled with monsters and spiritual terrors, Christian, who, again, this is an extremely explicit allegory. You don't have to wonder who they're talking about. The main character's name is Christian. So uh, I, I think you guys can follow along. Confronts with emblematic characters such as worldly wise man, giant despair, talkative, ignorance, and the demons of the valley and the shadow of death. But he was joined by friends, hopeful and faithful. And then it goes on from there. But, um, you know, the missionaries used to travel the world and immediately when they encountered a new culture and a new language, they would translate the Bible and then after that, they would translate Pilgrim's Progress because they thought it was such a helpful book to be able to walk people through in an easier way than digesting the whole Bible. This is what it looks like from the early stages of being enlightened by the truth of Christianity to all of the times where it's immensely difficult and you're tempted and you're, you're down and uh, you're in despair. And then other times where it's in great peaks of joy and uh, in life. So it's, I just find myself all the time comparing my season of life I'm in to something in the book. Like, you know, oh, I, I'm just in the pit of despair right now. I can't seem to get out. I'm stuck. Or, you know, I'm encountering this person and this, this is really similar to a person in the book. Um, it's fascinating, but it's also just um, an incredible piece of Christian literature that uh, is, is good to kind of have in your belt if you're wanting to um, kind of collaborate with other people there. Yeah, um, much like Matt said with, with my first book, I too have read this one, um, at least bits and pieces of it. Um, and yeah, absolutely. If um, if you do want something that's a very clear and concise, um, at times not super concise, but certainly a very clear storyline of, of what it means to do the Christian life and walk a Christian walk, you absolutely will come away with something in that book where you will very easily be able to put pieces of your life um, right into the stories of that book. He, um, it it kind of gives you it, it gives you an answer at times. Like, oh, here's the problem that book problem I'm facing as a Christian. 
how did it shout in the book um, I do to kind of uh, look at my situation that I have now. And and a yeah. quick disclaimer, this is kind of a tough read. Uh, it, it is not, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was written back in the 1600s, right? He wasn't really thinking of what prose would look like in 2020 and how we'd be used to reading things. Um, so it's, it's tough and it, uh, it kind of feels chunky and clunky. But it's it's worth it if you get through it, and they do have updated versions as well. Yeah, like, I, re- I read the updated version. Uh, Matt read the old school version. Um, I personally would recommend. Yeah, I would personally recommend reading one that's been kind of reprised for modern English a little more. One hundred percent. All right, Zach, number two on your list. What do we have? Number two, uh, and th- this one, I'll put a disclaimer. This one is less about the specific book and more about the idea of doing a book like this. Um, if you are someone out there who is getting married, um, even if you want to just know more about marriage, but specifically if you're engaged, um, I recommend that you um, and your uh, bride-to-be or husband-to-be um, would look at reading a book about marriage together. Uh, Ashley and I read a book called You and Me Forever by Francis and Lisa Chan. Um, and it's a, it's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Um, but like I said, more there are a lot of really, really, really good books about marriage out there. Um, I know um, the, uh, the Protestant Pope himself, Tim Keller, um, that's a, a joke, of course. Um, <laughs> He he has a really great one on marriage that a lot of people go back to, um, and I've read pieces of that one as well. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, this one I think is really marriage, good. Just the, uh, the meaning of reference, marriage. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, I will read a couple of bits from the synopsis here. Um, it says, "Marriage is great, but it's not forever. It's until death do us part. Then come eternal rewards or regrets, depending on how we spent our lives." Sounds a whole lot like Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. I think there's a theme here. Uh, While we cannot allow lesser things to destroy our marriages, we also cannot allow marriage to distract us from greater things. A jealous God asks us to pursue him first and most. Then life makes sense and everything falls into its proper place. Love, laughter, and intimacy were all created to be enjoyed. So there is a way to love family deeply without ignoring heaven. It all comes down to our focus. Jesus was right. We have it all backwards. The way to have a great marriage is by not focusing on marriage. Um, There's a couple of particular anecdotes um, that Francis Chan writes about that um, I found um, extremely helpful um, when kind of framing marriage in light of eternity. Um, And honestly, the one I took most out of this book, it's, it's a really kind of abstract application of this idea. But he talks about how him and his wife, Lisa, um, they are, they have almost nothing in common. Like they're completely different people. They don't share that many similar interests, um, by all standards of the world. They're actually quite, um, incompatible with each other to, to be married. Um, but what they have in common is this all powerful, perfect God that they have said, that this is what my whole life is. I'm putting my whole life to God. Um, and that's what they have in common. And that is so powerful when you think about your marriage in light of eternity, that two truthfully incompatible people find real compatibility in marriage. And it's framing the covenant of marriage in the idea of eternity. Great read. But 
um, like I said, more more over than that than anything. If you are someone who um, you're engaged, you're going to be getting married, um, you and your significant other, I tr- I really believe should go through a book like this together. Um, and I th- I think you'll uh, get a lot from that um, as you're preparing for marriage. Yeah, I, I love that idea that he goes over. Um, and, and I haven't actually read this book, so I can't really speak to it much. But um, I, I love the idea of focusing not on uh, compatibility, but just accepting the fact that there is no such thing. That if you look for the person who's compatible, uh, good luck, because we live in a fallen world and that's not going to work out for you. <laughs> so uh, you, you got to look to the, the one who's able to make incompatible people work anyway. Um, and that's Jesus. Absolutely. All right, Matt, last on the list. Uh, All right. What are you going with? Yeah, so I'm throwing a curveball at you. Um, I'm going with Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Oh, he goes off the board. Off the board. So uh, not a Christian book uh, in really any way. Um, Some parts of it are actually very not Christian. But um, I kind of, I do this for two reasons. One, because it it definitely was impactful for me. And um, very often I I refer back to this book and think about it in terms of understanding um, mostly current events and kind of uh, a a cultural read of where we're at, but also because of the fact that uh, Christians can be impacted by non-Christian media, right? So we don't only listen to Christian music. We don't only watch Christian, you know, pure flicks and we don't only speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I know. <laughs> oh boy. Um, and and we don't only let, read Christian books, and it's okay to be influenced by them. But you have to understand, be able to have a lens through which you interpret things and decide what you're going to be influenced by. So, uh, with that disclaimer there, um, Brave New World. It uh, it was written back in 1932, and so we're between World War One and World War Two, right? And it's a time of a lot of economic boom and a lot of technological advancement. So what Huxley is trying to get at here is that um, there's a lot of optimism that we're going to be able to create a utopia. And this is a big thing, a big theme running through culture of his day in the 30s. He kind of flips on his head and he says, what if all of this innovation, what if all of this technology that we're building up to and trying to create perfection in our society, what if it doesn't work out like we think we do? So um, I, I listened to this on audiobook, so I don't actually have um, the, the back to read from. And, you know, while I say that, shout out to the app LibriVox. I think it's also a website. It's just a public domain where it's audiobooks for anything that's, you know, any old books. I forget what it is for it to be on the public domain. But yeah, I, you, I mean, you can yeah, it's just listed as public domain. Yeah, that's one of those books that, uh, you know, going back to my 12th grade English class that we would say is like in the canon of literature. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And those those books out there, I know that one in particular, you can get it. You can get the PDF of it for free pretty easily. I know. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. If uh, I think Amazon, uh, the Kindle store probably has it for free. Um, certainly, uh, if you're on like Apple, the iBooks, is that what it's called? Um, whatever it is, uh, you can certainly get it for free there as well. Yeah. So, so, um, and of course that's true with, uh, with books like the Pilgrim's Progress or whatnot too, you know, if they're old enough like that, yeah. most of these old books, you, you can, you can at least get some form of it for free, but I'll, I'll read the, the Wikipedia version here to suffice for not having the back of the book. It says, Brave New World is a dystopian novel by Aldous Huxley, written in 1931 and published in 32. 
largely set in a futuristic world state whose citizens are environmentally engineered into an intelligence-based social hierarchy, the novel anticipates huge scientific advancements in reproductive technology, sleep learning, psychological manipulation, and classical conditioning that are combined to make a dystopian society, which is challenged only by a single individual, the story's protagonist. Um, and then the last main point that they make is this is often compared to Orwell's 1984. Um, so my, my main points with this were that um, you know, we often think that uh, we're going to save ourselves out of any situation. It's kind of the hope, the humanistic hope that we're in right now in the COVID situation that we're going to be able to stay in quarantine long enough and we're going to be able to create a vaccine that everything is going to, you know, we're going to be able to get out of it. It's the same thing with global warming. It's the same thing with, um, you know, food shortages and whatnot. And I'm a huge believer in technological innovation. Um, you know, I, I would say half or more of the TPM guys are in, well, definitely more than half are either in science or engineering. And, uh, it's, it's part and parcel to what we do for a living. But I think it's important to understand that if you try to innovate and you try to bring society to a point where you think you are saving yourselves, it's not going to be a utopia. It's going to be a dystopia because man is still fallen. We're still bad. And at the heart of it, the tools we make reflect ourselves. So if we're going to generate a society that's around us, it's still not going to work out in the end and we're going to be our own demise. Yeah, I love it. Um, even, uh, you know, moreover from a TPM standpoint, going back to that idea, uh, uh, not to, well, I guess, yeah, to kind of uh, pump a couple podcasts that we've done in the past. Um, fellow plain man and I, Andre Nelson, um, have done a couple episodes about art um, and what that means to, to the Christian. Um, and we actually took a, a very not explicitly Christian standpoint on how we process art and how we take some, some very non-Christian things um, and how we can still learn from that, bring that into our lives. Um, so go check those out. Yeah. We hear are big believers that uh, you can glean a lot from a lot of different people. So yeah, don't be yeah, afraid 100%. to expand your horizons a little bit. And so did the apostle Paul just saying, yeah. so, <laughs> so we're not alone in that. All right, Zach, Last book suggestion, what do we have? So if you listened to the Behind the Mic series, you will know what my last book is. It has hands down been the most impactful book to me outside of the Bible itself. It is called A Million Ways to Die uh, by someone named Rick James. Um, Rick James at least was. I don't know if he still is. Um, in some ways, at least he is. Uh, on staff with Crew, or formerly Campus Crusade. Um, when we were, yeah, Matt, we were probably juniors, maybe. Um, Rick James spoke at our fall retreat, um, and he talked about a lot of these ideas. Um, and then at some conference, they, they actually just gave this book out to a ton of students for free. Um, and it kind of almost became like a, a, a laughing kind of a, a running joke because no one actually read it, but everyone had a copy of this book. Uh, I was one of the few people who actually dove in and read it. Um, and I'll give you... I, I think I had three copies, but I still never read it. So <laughs> my bad. Uh, I will give you a, a quick synopsis of it here from the back of the book. Um, as Christians, we talk often about resurrection, but what about death and the many daily deaths, in quotes, that must come first? Through stories and biblical insights, Rick James reminds us that when Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him, he is describing a path of death, not a path to death. 
as we learn to embrace the little deaths of everyday existence, we lose our taste for the lifeless religiosity. Our appetite for a thriving, vibrant life in Christ grows, and our experience motivates others to live out their extraordinary missions on earth. As James so vividly illustrates, death is not an ending. It is an invitation to more abundant life. Um, and that idea, and it's straight out of Galatians 2.20 as well. Um, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, the life I live now in flesh, I live in faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. We die, right? Uh, there, there is the, the, the turning point in the Christian is when you go from death to life, right? And what that means is that we, the same way Christ died on the cross, um, and was resurrected in that same way we die in a very real way to who we were in sin right we die that person the the zach that existed before he was a christian that zach died in the same way that christ died on the cross right in a very real spiritual way that zach is dead um, and i've been born again i've been made new that's the that's the born again that is talked about in scripture i'm a new being in Christ. So that death was pivotal. That death that happened was pivotal to life, to the life that I have now and the life I'm going to have for eternity. Um, And that is just what the path of life is. The path to life, to ultimate life, is a path of death, that there's going to be little deaths that happen all the time. We're going to have to die to our ego. We're going to have to die to our comfortability. and in, in, in some cases, that death is very physical, right? And it's very easy to see that the path to life um, for persecuted Christians, that could be a very real physical death for you in the face of persecution. But that, that kind of idea is extrapolated to all these other areas where we have to die in a, in a way to bits and pieces of who we are as we continue to grow in Christ. So this book is a game changer for me. Um, I think it could be for some of you guys out there as well. One of those mini paradoxes in the Christian life, right? Where you, <laughs> it's uh, like like he who will be he who is first last will boy. I'm, I'm butchering this. He who is last will be first. You know what I'm saying? Oh, but um, it, a lot of it tends to be backward, upside down, inverse of what uh, you know we as normal people think about it. So. Um, incredibly important lesson and, and one that Zach I know I've gleaned a lot from you uh, by proxy I guess f- through you yeah, from, from me James. saying it over and over and over yeah, again. yeah. <laughs> like yeah uh, as so I was, important you know, though reading this book on the top bunk of our bunk bed sharing my thoughts with you during our pillow talk that's right and I'm down below you reading old English pilgrim's progress <laughs> getting through half a chapter a night okay well um, wow this podcast ran really long way longer than i thought it would uh, to the listener out there uh i want to say two things one i hope you are reading um, as someone who struggles to read it's still really important you have to get into a book um and you have well you really have to be in the bible but i hope you are also pursuing other literature as well christian and non-christian like you're going to get a lot from that secondly if if you want to read any of these books we've talked about reach out to us we are real people um we i have all the books i said i have physical copies matt has physical copies of these books um otherwise he could show you where to get an audiobook or something whatever we will get you these books um 
with no with no strings attached. I would just give you this book and I wouldn't even need it back um, because I think they were so important and so impactful to me. Um, yep, same here, absolutely. And I know the other playing guys um, would feel the same way about books that they've read. Um, so, uh, without without any uh, uh, anything else, thank you for being with us um, on this podcast. I hope that our verbal processing um, in our little book club session today was edifying for you. Have a great week, everybody.